And that's uh, Psalm 121, starting in verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. The, uh, the hope, maybe the, the expectation of every pastor is that at the end of a Sunday after the message is given that you um, think about it, chew on it, contemplate it, meditate on it, spend all week thinking about it. And so I come this morning knowing that that's the case for you. If you were here last week, you've been thinking all week long about what I said last week and the passage that we looked at in Mark and in Luke. Um, Maybe that's not true. Some of you were not here last week, so you don't exactly know what we talked about. But for me, uh, that's been the case. I started the week thinking about the, the passage we talked about last week. And if you weren't here last week, the story we talked about was, was the story where Jesus and his disciples get in a boat, and Jesus tells them to get in the boat. They, they get in the boat, and they begin to travel across the Sea of Galilee. And when they get partway across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is asleep on the back of the boat, and a huge storm comes, and the storm is tossing the boat all over. The disciples are doing all that they can to, to survive the storm. And they finally, Jesus finally wakes up, and he says, Peace, be still, and the storm completely stops. And we talked about how, how all through that whole story, all through that whole story, the disciples' uh, fear rises up in them, and the storm comes, and they don't know what to do, and there's nowhere else for them to go, and they make a desperate plea to say, Jesus, save us. And he says, Peace, be still, and everything stops. One of the key parts that we talked about last week was the idea that Jesus showed his humanity by being asleep in the back of the boat. Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. He was bone-weary tired. In fact, we talked about trucker sleeping last week, if you were here. That point where you just cannot keep your eyes open any longer, and all you can do is pull up and, and drop the back of the seat and go out. That's what happened with Jesus. He got in the boat, and he just fell asleep instantly out, bone-weary, tired, enough so that as the storm comes, he doesn't wake up. And he showed that he's just like us. He gets tired, he gets weary, he needs rest. He's a human, just like us. But then, not only does Jesus show his humanity, but he also shows his divinity in that when he wakes up, he instantly calms all the forces of nature. God shows, Jesus shows his power over nature by saying, peace, be still. And everything is calm. As I've been thinking through that idea this week, and as I went back to, to prepare another message this week, I began thinking just about what did it mean as Jesus was asleep, and what picture does that give us? Especially last week we talked about how our God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's never surprised. He's never caught off guard. There's never a moment as the disciples were in that boat, and they were trying to save their ship and keep it from going overboard. They were doing everything they could in the midst of the storm to not tip over. And Jesus was asleep, and they had, to, they had to think. In fact, maybe even afterwards, as Jesus stops the storm, they have to think, what, 
if he hadn't woke up, what would happen? Was he caught unaware? Jesus was asleep in our greatest time of need. And I've been thinking about how does that all work? How's that process together? Maybe you've been having those same thoughts this week. Because our God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's never caught off guard. And last week we talked about Psalm 121. I referenced it a couple times. That our God is always on guard. And so this week, we're going to look at that psalm a little bit. We're going to dive into that and, and just break it apart a little bit. What does that mean for us? That God never slumbers, never sleeps, is always with us. So that leads us to Psalm 121. We want to talk today about the God that never sleeps and never slumbers. If you notice, if you look, notice in, in your Bible, Psalms 120 to 134, that passage, they're all titled a, a Song of Ascent. This portion of the Psalms, these books would, these chapters would have been used for, for the Israelite people especially as they tr- journeyed and traveled back to Jerusalem for the Passover or for large, large worship settings. These songs would have been some of the Psalms that they had memorized and sung on their journey. Songs that would help them as they traveled across Israel back to the large worship gatherings that they would have had together. Then not all of these psalms would have been written specifically for that, but they would have been grouped together in that way. Psalm 121 especially fits this kind of genre. Um, Sometimes this psalm is titled the Traveler's Psalm or a Pioneer's Psalm. Um, Many times this is a, a Soldier's Psalm. In fact, many of, of the great military leaders throughout history have referenced back to this psalm as, as one that they quote often or think of often. Missionaries, as they begin, as they leave from, from their home to go off into the mission field, oftentimes reference this psalm as the one they use just before they pack up and leave. This is exactly what it says, a traveler's psalm. And it begins with the words... I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? The rest of this psalm, the entirety of this psalm following this line is all about God. The only part that's about us, the only part that references us at all is right here in this first line. The only part that's our part is in the very first line I lift up my eyes to the hills. As we journey, as we travel, as we come to storms in our life, the part that we're responsible for, the part that's our part is, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Last week, in fact, we talked about the disciples. They, they did everything they could. Some of them were experienced fishermen. They were experienced sailors. They had been on that boat and in that situation many times. They probably did everything that they could to keep the boat from tipping over. And when there was nothing else they could do, they cried out to Jesus, Jesus, save us. Don't you care that we're about to perish? There's lots of times that that's our approach to storms. That that's our, we do everything that we can. And then there's a desperate plea to say, Jesus, save us. God, help us. Make a way for us. The psalmist here tells us that's really our only job. That's our only job part in the equation that we are to lift up our eyes to the hills that's it that's the end 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. The rest of it, everything else that's covered in this psalm is not our part, but his. It's all God's part. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Why to the hills? Why does he say, I lift up my eyes to the hills? Now, there's several reasons here. There's probably several different uh, objectives that the psalmist had in this. Um, one of them is that one, some of the commentators, as you, as you read this, say the hills could have re- represented the mountains that surround Jerusalem. That as the travelers would travel towards Jerusalem to come for this large worship time, the Passover celebrations, that, that they would look their eyes to the hills of Jerusalem and know that's where they're going to go. That's where they're going to worship. That's where they're going to meet with God. So they, they, look, they lift their eyes to the hills to see the place where they are going, where they're heading, where they're going to worship God. It represented Jerusalem to them. It really represented the God of all Israel. It could have been a military reference that, that as you look for help, you look to the top of the hills, you look to the highest points, you look to the overwatch positions, knowing that your help will come from above. It could be that the, the mountains in Israel especially would have been the high points for, for idol worship. That, that there, this, these would have been the places where the, the uh, gods of the Canaanites would have had their, their, their altars would have been placed on the tops of the mountains. They would have been the places that idol worship happened. And so maybe, the psalmist says, maybe they lift up their eyes to the hills wondering, is there any help for them? Is there anywhere they can go as they look for help? It could be, could be a reference to, to our ability, mankind's ability, really our default position to worship nature. And we lift up our eyes to the hills, worshiping created things rather than the creator, Paul tells us. It could be just a desire to look up, looking up, longing for help from somewhere, anywhere, a desperate plea to say, I have no idea where it's going to come from, but I need help. I lift up my eyes to the hills. And my desperate plea, where does my help come from? That's how we open up this psalm. And then the answer comes very quickly. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's a quick answer. It's a quick reply. There's no hesitation. There's no holding back. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Our rescue, our help comes from God himself. We're not looking to the gods of nature. We're not looking to the mountains themselves. But instead, we are looking to nature's God. We're looking up, past the mountains, into the clouds, past the clouds, into the stars and the space, past the space into the heavens. We're looking to the God who created all that we see, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalmist is very clear as he spells out who this God is. He is the God who has put all of the stars and all of the planets and all of the solar system into place. We're looking beyond that universe to the maker of all of creation the one who makes the stars and constellations, who numbers the stars and casts them into the universe. But not just the God who knows the numbers of the stars in the sky, but also the God who knows the numbers of the hair on our head. 
We're looking to the maker of the heavens and of the earth. We're looking to the God who is intimately involved in putting together the astronomy that we see, but also to the God who's intimately involved with putting together the geology that we stand on. The God who puts together all that we see in the sky and all that we see on earth, everything in between, the micro and the macro God, the creator of heaven and earth. The promise that God makes to Abraham is that uh, his descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky and later it will be more plentiful than the sand on the seashore. That's the God that we worship, the maker of heaven and earth. The answer for the psalmist comes quickly. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then he says, he will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot slip. The desire of every traveler, everyone who's on a journey, everyone who's traveling wants to have sure footing. We need to have sure footing. We need to know that our path is straight, that our direction is sure. And that's not, that does not come as a request from the psalmist. He does not say, may my foot not slip. He does not say, may my foot not be moved. He says, our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then it's a command. It says, he will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot slip. It's a conclusion to the psalmist. It's a conclusion to the psalmist. Over and over in the Old Testament, there's lots of passages that we come to that talk about our path being made straight through the help of God. Psalm 27:11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Psalm 139 says, You search out my path, my lying down, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. We know Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Over and over, through all of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we have a God who makes straight paths for us. A God who makes sure that we are headed in the right direction. A God who makes sure that our feet do not slip. A God who makes sure that our feet are not moved. And that on our journey, he is there. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps you will not slumber. This is the picture that I came back to as I thought about last week's message over and over. God, for us, is a vigilant watchman. He's always alert. He never gets tired. He never dozes. He never gets distracted. He never is surprised. He never gets just a little bit worn out and has to close his eyes for just a minute. God is always alert. He always keeps watch. He's always on guard. There's absolutely no weakness in God. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He never needs a rest. He never takes a break. He never looks the other way. He is always a vigilant watchman. He who keeps you will not slumber. And then it says, behold, 
He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This is an unbelievable promise here to us. It says, the God who keeps you will not slumber. He never sleeps. He never gets so bone-weary tired that he's not aware of the storm that's surrounding you. He's always watching. He's never surprised. And then it says, indeed, behold, the God who watches over you The God who makes this promise to you to never slumber, to never sleep, to always be watching over you, to be your watchman, the God that makes that promise to you, that promise is the same that he makes to his people, to his chosen people, Israel. It's the same promise that he makes to the church. He is committed to keeping you as he is to keeping his church. He is as committed to keeping you as he is to keeping his chosen people. He's as committed to you as he is to Israel. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This is not a light and a casual, I will keep you if I can promise. Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Just recently, I I read a testimony that came from someone here in our, our fellowship in our church and one of the lines that they had in their testimony said, before they knew Christ, before they were a believer, God was keeping promises to them that they didn't even know that he had made. That, I love that. That has encouraged me several times as I've read that. That God was keeping promises to me before I even knew he had made them. That's the God That's the God that we're reading about here in Psalm 121. That's the God that keeps us. That's the God who's not sleeping. The promises that he has made to his church, he has made for us. And he's keeping them. Before we even know that he made them, he was keeping them for us. Our God is a God of promises, not just of making them, but of keeping them. And that's what the psalmist says next. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. The idea of the psalmist here is is that it's the Lord. The Lord himself is your keeper. This is not a job that gets staffed out to someone else. God never says, I need to make regions and put managers in charge of those regions because I can't, I'm getting stretched too thin. I can't cover it. I need someone else to watch out for it. That never happens with God. God, he himself, is your keeper. He is the one that will do it. He will do it for you. He will do it for me. He has done it for his people from all time, from the very beginning of time to the end of time. God is the one who will do it. He, he himself, is the keeper. There is no substitute. It's all God. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. Shade, obviously for us, has a couple of different meanings. In the hot, dry, Middle East climate, we know shade to be protection. We understand shade to be the one thing that's needed by all that live in that hot, arid, sun is always beating down, crazy hot climate. Shade is their protection. And not just the protection, but the protection at their right hand or at the working hand. You are able to accomplish more because of God's protection over you, his shade 
over you. But shade is not just about protection, but shade is also about rest. Shade is also about respite. Not only are you protected from the heat, but you can find rest in the cool of the shade. He is the shade at your right hand. The sun does not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Again, the picture here is obvious, I think, but the sun, the sun beats on you at, during the day. The moon, the moon by night. That we do not need to worry about anything that comes during the day. We do not need to worry about anything that can come out in the open that we can see. There's not anything that we need to worry about at night in the darkness as well. Nothing can come out of the blue. Nothing can come out in the open. We are protected both by the sun, from the sun by day and by the moon at night. There's never a time of day that you will be unsafe. There's never a calamity that can sneak up on you. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. And the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will watch over your life. This is hard. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will watch over your life. We read that. I read that at least. And I say, how can this be true? How can this be right? How can it be true that the Lord will keep us from all evil? How can it be true that the Lord will keep us from all harm, it says in some verses? Because we know evil. We know harm. We feel, we feel harm. And yet the promise of the psalmist is he keeps us from all evil. He watches over our life. How can that be true? We know that storms come, that they're real. Some of you are experiencing them right now. The intent of the psalmist, I think, here is to tell us that it's not a cushioned, above a fray, impervious to all harm kind of protection, but rather a well-armed, anchored, safe, secure protection that comes from God. That's the idea, I think, that Jesus gives us when he tells us in Luke chapter 21, you will be delivered up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Some of you they will put to death. Some will be hated for, all, for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head will perish. And by your endurance you will gain your lives. How can those both be true? How can Jesus share both of those that you're going to be given up and you will be put to death. You will be hated for my name's sake. And a hair on your head won't perish. And by your endurance, you will gain your life. How can Jesus say that? How can Paul say in Romans that we read this morning, that was on the screen this morning, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul seems to say 
all of these things, hardship, nakedness, danger, persecution, sword, all of these things, bring them on. Because when those things come, we are more than conquerors through Christ. We are more than conquerors. As they come, as we battle through those things, as God protects us even in the midst of those things, we see the love of Christ. We see God's protection and safety in those things. They make us all the stronger, and they only serve to show the greatness of God through the love of Christ. Eugene Peterson, in his book on the Song of Ascents, he says this, The Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterrupted with our Lord, nor is it a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others who have made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God. It's going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on. They breathe the same air. They drink the same water. They shop in the same stores. They read the same newspapers. They're citizens under the same governments. They pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline. They fear the same dangers. They are subject to the same pressures. They get the same distresses, and they are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath that we breathe, we know that we are preserved by God. We know that we are accompanied by God. We know that we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. That's what we read in Jude when we say now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through the Lord Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before time, now, and forever. He is able to keep us, and he does. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will watch over your life. He will keep your life. The psalmist goes on to say, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. You're going out and you're coming in no matter what move you make. In another place in Psalm, it says, he hymns us in behind and before. Everywhere that you go, everywhere that you have been, everywhere that you will go, God is there. He's there for our going in and our coming out. When? From this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist says, God is there, and he's there starting right now. Actually, starting a long time ago, but from this exact point, wherever you are, at this exact point, from right now, God will be with you forevermore. From this point on, no matter where you go, he will be there. It's an unbelievable promise. Only, only an eternal God can make an eternal promise. That he'll be with you forevermore can only be made by an eternal God, one who knows that he will be there from now till the end. God makes that promise. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. He's the shade at your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God, God will keep us. That is where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord. Will there be storms? Absolutely. Will there be long and dusty and hard and scary journeys for us? Most definitely. Will there be times when we don't know where to go or who to call? When we've done everything that we know to do just as the disciples did? Will there be a time when we cry out and say, Jesus, save us. Don't you know that we are about to die? When we've done everything that we can do, absolutely there will be those times. But this promise is for all who believe. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The worship team is going to come and lead us this morning. We're going to sing as we close about the love of Christ that does not separate us. There is nothing that separates us from the love of Christ. But we are more than conquerors in all those things. Will you stand with me this morning as the worship team comes and leads us as we sing together?
is higher, no love is wider, no love is deeper, no love is truer, no love is higher, no love is wider, no love is like your love, oh Lord. Let me all thy love accepting. Love thee ever all my days Let me seek thy kingdom only In my life be me thy praise Thou alone shall be my glory Nothing in the world I see Thou hast cleansed and sanctified me Thou thyself has set me free Who is love will not remember Who can cease to sing his praise He can never be forgotten Throughout him's eternal days No love is higher higher, no love is wider, no love is like your love, oh Lord, no love is higher, no love is wider, no love is deeper, no love is truer, no love is higher, no love is wider, no love is like your love, oh God, Paul tells us that there is nothing that separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not famine, not nakedness, not persecution, not danger, not sword. No, in all of those things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And God, wherever we are in whatever journey we are, whatever storm is coming our way, and God, we lift up our eyes to the hills and we wonder, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Our prayer this morning, God, is that you will cause us to turn there and nowhere but there. That, God, you will cause us to lift our eyes and to find our help in you. You are the one, God, who never sleeps or slumbers. You keep us, you watch over our life. You watch over our comings and goings, both now and forevermore, God. You are the one who does it, and we rest in you. Help us to do that. Pray this this morning in your name.